Let's pray and ask God to speak to us today as we conclude our, our journey on the marriage series called I Promise. Heavenly Father, we ask the Lord for you to speak in this room. We ask for your word to do its work as we open the scriptures. Lord, your word uh, will penetrate hearts and minds. Your word will teach, will guide, will instruct. Your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. Lord, we pray that your word will encourage where encouragement is needed. We pray your word will convict where conviction is needed. We pray your word will direct where direction is needed. God, we want your word to do a work in our lives, and we pray, Lord, that you help us be obedient to your word, that we follow and live out your scripture. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the last three weeks, we've been on this journey in a series called I Promise, just trying to learn about how do we have a marriage that is a Christ-centered, Christ-focused marriage. What I've said is for those who are married, obviously we say we need this, we need to hear from God's word. Maybe for those who are singles or yet to be married and you're thinking down the road that may be, we need it as well because as we think about marriage before marriage, you prepare well for that day when that comes. Two people pursuing God prior to marriage and then into marriage, they come together, together to make a relationship in Christ. That's marriage. While they continually pursue God, we also pursue one another is what we've been learning. And we've got to remove the I out of marriage and we've got to replace it with we. And so we've talked about how do we do this? What does it look like? And there's four promises. I'll try to lay out a vision for you. A vision that would be different than what the world teaches. A vision that says this can be done and it can be done greatly and it can be done wonderfully and marriage can be wonderful when we do it in God's way. Four promises. Promise number one is that I promise that God will be my number one priority and my spouse will be my number two. Is that in our relationship with one another, God has got to be first, spouse two, children three, job and everything else in line after that. Promise number two is I'll always promise to pursue my number two, but we pursue our number two by learning to pursue our number one through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we learn to walk with God, then he teaches us, how do I pursue my husband or how do I pursue my wife in a Christ-focused way? Promise number three from last week is that I promise that our marriage will be about we and not me. We live in this self-centered, it's all about me society, and when you enter in a marriage, it's now dropping the I, and it says we, and so we enter into this relationship, we got to think in terms of what do we accomplish in Christ. Now, when we make these first three promises, I believe there's one major obstacle that will stand in our way, and that one major obstacle is Satan himself, because when you make those kinds of promises, then he says, I'm going to challenge your promises. I'm going to challenge your commitment in marriage. He'll challenge us with dishonesty. He'll challenge us with impurity. He'll try to attack your intimacy. And any way he, come, he can come, he will, because Scripture tells us that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so he's coming after any marriage that makes a promise that says, I want my marriage to be a Christ-centered, God-honoring marriage, then Satan's coming. And so we need promise number four, which is I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. I promise to confide in you and not hide in you. See, when you make up your mind to carry out these promises, you're going to get close. 
When you make up your mind and say, you know what, these promises are going to be, be a core of my marriage relationship, you'll start to get really close. You'll start to have intimacy and closeness like you've never had before. You'll develop a deep bond that is actually awesome. You'll be able to look at people and say, I have a great marriage. And they'll be like, what? Because in today's society, most people talk so negatively about marriage. But watch out. When you start to have that, then the evil one comes to attack. He did it in the Bible, and I promise he still does it today. And so when you put your marriage and you say, I'm going to have a Christ-focused marriage, then Satan says, yeah, let's see how strong you're going to be committed to that. Look at what happened in Genesis 2. This has been our key passage for the whole series. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Three words we talked about in there, leave, united, and one. Now look at this, verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the word shame, it means to, to feel completely worthless. Both naked, though, there was no sense of feeling worthless. There was no sense of shame. There was, there was intimacy, no sin, no shame, total intimacy as they were there in the garden before sin entered. Naked, not ashamed. They felt no shame. They, they were like children who were streakers. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Your child comes running a room, hi, mom and dad, and you got friends over and they have no diaper on or no clothes on. A child who has no shame to go running down the neighborhood street with no clothes on because they have no shame. They're, they're not ashamed at all. As we talk today about relationships, I, I want to show you how secrets and shame separate. See, before sin, before secrets, before shame, they were naked and they were not ashamed. If you know the rest of the story, enters in Satan or Lucifer or the serpent who came to Eve and said, Hey, did God really tell you? Don't eat of that tree. Really stay away from that tree. Did God really say that? Did he really mean it? And she listens in and starts to believe that little temptation and so she ate from that forbidden fruit and took her husband and said, let's go do this together. And so her husband ate from it. As you know, the story goes. And what happened is they went and then hid themselves. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man with his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man, where are you? God knows they're hiding. Where are you? He, and then he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Where are you? I hid. I was afraid because I was naked so I hid I was afraid because I fought, felt vulnerable and when you felt vulnerable then you you hide I was afraid if you knew all of me if you know everything about me God then you won't accept me so I hid I was afraid because of and so what did I do I hid I was naked I was not ashamed but when sin entered then I became ashamed so I covered up and I decided to do something in between you and me, because I thought if you saw me, if you saw all of me, then you may not accept me the way I am, God, and so I will hide from you. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. What does Satan like to do? 
loves to attack God's children to sin. And then when there is sin, it often comes with shame. And what does shame do? It separates us from God and it separates us from one another. Because I've done something wrong, now I want to hide. It's kind of like when I was a child and I had a bad grade on a test. And I took it to a friend and I said to my friend, would you forge my mom's signature? And had my mom sign another paper that was an A paper and said, I need your signature. And so we forged the signature together. And then I hid basically from my mom because I knew I did something that was wrong. Until then later we were caught at parent-teacher conferences and the teacher said, you signed his test. And my mom said, I never saw that before. It's amazing how though when sin is revealed and it's dealt with, how then the shame is now dealt with. See, Satan loves to play the shame game. You experience something deeply painful or something deeply simple. You connect what happened with who you are and you believe the only way to be safe is to hide And many times we run from God. For some of you, you've been on that journey here, just personally in your faith journey, and you've ran from God, and you haven't been around church in a long time. And you're making steps back in. You're like, God, I don't want to hide from you anymore. But sometimes we hide because we we won't participate with the church. We'll stay away from church activities and church functioning, being around the Word of God, because we're hiding from the Word of God. See, the truth is, write this down. The truth is, wherever secrets live, intimacy dies. And wherever intimacy lives, secrets die. You stop and dwell on that for a second. Wherever secrets live, when secrets start to enter in between you and your relationship with God, then your intimacy with God dies. The same thing will happen in your marriage where there's secrets, then your intimacy between your spouse will die. But where intimacy lives, your closeness, then the secrets will die. When you say, I'm taking off and I'm not going to hide anymore. Let me demonstrate how this is lived out in marriage. Husband and wife are very close. Intimacy is alive. There's no shame at all. You are so close together. You think our marriage is the best marriage there is. We'd put it up against anybody else's marriage because I am so close to him and she is so close to me. But what can happen sometimes you start to build a wall. What do you hide? Sometimes you start hiding things like just your feelings and emotions. Well, I'm feeling this inside, but I can't tell him about that. Well, I'm feeling this inside as a man, but I can't dare tell my wife that because she'd think, well, what kind of man are you that you have those kind of feelings or hurts from your past that start to maybe bubble up? You say, I'm not going to deal with that. Let's just hide all that. Or unhealthy choices many times are what come into existence of a marriage and unhealthy choices, and we start to hide. And we say, what kind of unhealthy choices? Like maybe credit card spending. That you have that credit card that is, well, he doesn't really know about that credit card, or she doesn't know about that credit card, and I'll keep that hidden as you develop debt, and all of a sudden the debt is 3000 and 5000 and 10000 and you're starting to hide that from him, so that's hurting your intimacy. Or sometimes it's wrong relationships, and it may not even be a wrong relationship to the point where it's an affair, but you know, oh, I went out to lunch with him or her, and those lunches have been going on too many times, that person I work with, and you know the relationship is no longer about business, it's now we're starting to develop a friendship with someone of the opposite sex. You're like, this is only supposed to be for my wife or only supposed to be for my husband. And we start to hide. And it hurts our intimacy within our marriage or internet sites. That one's hitting marriages hard today. And has been hitting it hard for several years. Used to be just, well, the men's addiction to pornography, but now the stats are coming out that men and women are just as addicted on both sides of the coin. And what happens is, well, that's my computer. Get off my computer. Well, that's my phone. 
Why would you look at my phone? See, in an open marriage, your computers are openly shared and your passwords are openly shared and your phones are openly shared because where intimacy lives, where intimacy lives, then secrets die. But see, we start keeping secrets and, well, that's my computer, that's my phone. You stay off of my technology, I'll stay off of your technology. No, there should be an openness. So, hey, my technology is your technology. Look at any time you want. I have nothing to hide. And when you have nothing to hide, then intimacy grows. What about little white lies? Oh, honey, I got to work a little extra late tonight. We got this big project going out. And all along, you're going out with the guys for a couple beers because you just don't really want to go home just yet. Just the little white lies. Oh, it's nothing really all that major. I'm just kind of hiding just that little thing from her. But see, that's a secret. And when those secrets enter in, then intimacy starts to die. And Satan uses that because we start to hide from one another. You know what I'm talking about? The walls being built in your marriage. And those walls can get built just little by little. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and you go, who is that person? Or you look across and say, who is that person? Yeah, we share a bed and we share a home, but we surely don't share a life. Because intimacy, closeness, oneness in the relationship can die. So how do you overcome that? How do you overcome that? If, if that's in your marriage and you're sitting here and you're feeling that, you're like, yeah, my marriage is right there. We're married and, and by golly, we're not on a doorstep of divorce. I'm not going down to the courthouse to, to, to start the paper process or nothing like that. But boy, I just really don't know who this person is. I really don't feel that close. How do you break that bondage? Well, we need to bring what's in darkness into the light. Ephesians 5 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. You step out of darkness and light. You ever drive by any of the strip joints in Lexington? You ever notice how all the windows are boarded up? They're all dark. Every single one of them. Because sin lives in darkness. And God lives in the light. And in your marriage, if there's darkness, if there's things that are being hidden, the best thing to do is to bring them to light. Ephesians 5.11 says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Make them known, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. In other words, shine a big bright light on it. Get honest with one another. There's some darkness going on in our life, and we got to bring it forward. And it's amazing when you take something that's in the darkness and you bring it in the light, how then healing starts to take place. And how marriages can get restored. And then how not only can they be restored, but they become vibrant. So let me give you a path to heal. Let me give you some directions, some, some ways to, to continually live in the light. First of all, confess any secrets. Have an ongoing time of open confession that may not this happened or that happened. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. There's all kinds of scripture throughout the Bible that talks about when you confess, there's healing in confession. And what a great place to start within a marriage for a husband to sit down and look at a wife or for a wife to look at a husband. And it may not be some big old thing, but maybe it's just a little thing, but you know it's become an issue. Hey, I got to tell you something that's going on inside my heart. I got to tell you something I've been thinking about lately. I got to tell you about some behavior that I've been participating in. 
to confess that. And then secondly, to receive any confession with grace. If your husband or your wife come to you and say, man, I need to talk to you about something, the worst thing you can do is blow up and start to yell and scream and freak out. Ephesians 4 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. So if your spouse is vulnerable with you and says, I need to tell you some stuff that's been bothering me. I need to tell you stuff on my mind. When you lose control and you start to speak words that are hurtful, then what happens is that person goes back to living in darkness. They say, I don't, I don't want to go to the light because it hurt when I tried to do that. And we as spouses, we're supposed to help one another be right before God. And so we should be able to receive that with some grace. Even when, it's, even when it hurts, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So sometimes if you receive information that hard, it may be, thank you for sharing. I need to process, process that for a little while. Versus speaking anything else, because sometimes anger will start to set in. Pray together. You want to get on a path of healing Praying together. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. There it goes, back to that confession idea. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. In confession and prayer is where healing takes place. Honey, I've been doing. Honey, I've been participating in. Honey, I gotta tell you something that's been bothering me. Honey, this is on my mind. Honey, this is a fear of mine. This is what I'm what, this is what I'm concerned about. You share those things together. You pray together so there's healing takes place. And then you commit to a healing journey together. You commit to living in a, in a way that, that we live where in a way we heal each other, where we, where we help each other. Our job is to help each other be reconciled before Christ. The Apostle Paul, in his letters to the Colossians, said, my job, my ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. He wanted to present everybody perfect in Christ. That was his goal. Husbands, that should be our goal for our wives. That should be our goal. If our wife comes to us and says, honey, I need to share something with you, no matter what it is, our goal should be, how do I help her receive confession or, or walk through confession, receive forgiveness and mercy so that she then stands reconciled before God? And wives, may I suggest likewise, that's your goal. That if a husband comes to you and says, this has been on my mind, this has been my sin, this has been my challenge, they confess that. Your job is to help them reconcile before God. Help them receive forgiveness, help them receive mercy, and then to be reconciled so you commit to a healing journey together. Maybe that takes something like reading a book on that topic together and working through it. Maybe it takes coming and saying, I need some pastoral help, Brian. Can we sit down and talk some? Maybe that takes some professional counseling, depending on what level of hurt and what level of pain. But many times in our culture today, we say, I'll just buff up. I'll deal with it. We'll take care of it all on our own. Many times we need that help for someone to come alongside. See, when shame and hiding in a marriage, it's on a path for destruction, it's on a path for destruction. So why not break that path? Your marriage and living on a Christ-centered way is so important and so vital to you, to your walk with Christ, and to the community of people that you interact with. I've worked with many marriages, many times in crisis. And unfortunately, it typically doesn't turn out for the positive. Because most time, by the time someone comes and says, Brian, can you help us? The noose is already around the neck of the marriage and you got one foot off the edge and you're ready to take the last step. I've worked with them. As a pastor, my experience with helping marriages has been one of the most frustrating roles to serve in ministry. 
It's one of those roles that you step back and you go, Satan, I'm so sick and tired of you winning. So sick and tired of you winning these battles, Satan. And so it's been a prayer concern of mine to figure out how do we get better about helping marriages? See, what typically happens in a pastor's role is we help people in marriage on the front end and pre-marriage counseling before they're entering into marriage. And that's fun and joyful, helping a new young couple who's in love and are looking forward to that journey to say, let's try to just get on a path of, of good health and, and a good direction. That's many times. And then in between that, the church in general is sometimes will offer some classes or some seminars. Hey, here's a marriage class for four weeks or six weeks. And we've done that in the life of the church. And we see that sometimes kind of help for a little while, but not for long-lasting things. And then, of course, we do crisis counseling and send people to crisis counseling, help pay for crisis counseling. But I've been seeking a way to strengthen and sustain marriages for a lifetime because I see the different avenues. I'm like, it's not working. And I talk to other pastors in town and talk to pastor friends, and what are you doing? And most of us are like, we don't know. We really don't know what to do. We see the stats continually. Like, we got to fight for marriages. And I didn't want to preach a marriage series. I've done it in the past. Preach a marriage series. Go through four, five, six weeks talking about the topic of marriage and say, okay, we're done. Now go live out marriage. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to have something for the church to grab onto. And over the last few years of praying, God has answered that prayer this year, I believe. He's allowed us to be introduced into a ministry that is starting to take a sweeping across the state of Kentucky, spreading into Indiana, and I believe in, in the coming years it's going to be a ministry that's going to be taking place across the country and across the world. It's called Grace Marriage. We spent some time this year in a pilot group and training up some leaders to be able to bring Grace Marriage to center point in 2018. I want to introduce it to you first via this video, and then we'll come back up and talk to you more about it. And the decades-long consequences that occur. Statistics show there's a one out of two chance that your marriage will die. However, statistics also show that if you'll proactively invest in your marriage and you'll spend one-on-one -on -one time together and you will date one another and you will look big picture together and you'll work on issues while they're manageable, the chance of your marriage ending are almost zero. My name is Brad Rhodes. My wife Marilyn and I founded Grace Marriage to help couples protect, enrich, and grow their marriages. We found that if we could engage couples to be proactive and intentional in working on their marriage, it could have a profound impact on the marriage and the home. Does life seem too busy? Does it seem overwhelming? Is it hard to keep up? As a result, is it hard to find one-on-one -on -one time to spend with your spouse to really enjoy marriage and make it great? We all realize that if you want something great, you have to take care of it and you have to invest in it. If you plant a garden and you don't do anything with it and you just hope it goes well, it doesn't. If you don't take care of a car, it breaks down. Would you like a better marriage? 
Would you like a better atmosphere in your home? Would you like to have more intimacy, more pleasure, and more joy in your marriage? So at Grace Marriage, we're asking you to take a proactive approach. Take six hours every 90 days and take a big picture look at your marriage and make decisions what you want to accomplish in your family. Then be proactive during those 90 days to live life consistently with your biblical priorities. So step forward, invest in your marriage, work on your marriage, richly enjoy your marriage for the glory of God, the protection of your family, and the enjoyment of your spouse. Step forward, don't wait, sign up today and invest in your marriage. I sat down with Brad Rhodes earlier this year, and he said, Brian, look at the church budget. (coughs) Excuse me. He said, how much money is going to children's ministry? How much money is going to student ministry? How much money is going to small groups? How much money is going to your, <coughs> to your landscaping budget? He said, how much money is in there for marriage ministry? <coughs> it's an eye-opening experience. You start looking at that. Truth be told, the best way for us to do children's ministry, student ministry, the best way for us to do that is help moms and dads have a healthy marriage. Because if you have a healthy marriage, then you'll minister to your children. You'll guide your children. You'll direct your children. They'll grow in the Lord. And so we are raising the bar on how we do ministry to marriages as we head into 2018. This is a great opportunity for you. Um, there are some registration cards sitting on your chair. They look like this. I want to encourage you to pick one of those up, if you will. And if you need more, they're out in the lobby. But I want you to look at this card. Here's how grace marriage works. You make a commitment to work on your marriage. The idea is we want to avoid going into a crisis situation. We want to actually do the work ahead of time. You make that commitment. Just like your car, most of us get our oil changed every three to four months, maybe a little bit more than that. But most of us do that. Most of us will get our tires rotated every eight to 10,000 miles. You'll take care of your vehicle. Most of us, if you have a garden, you put water to it, you trim the plants, you take care of that. It's amazing how anything in life that needs a little bit of help, we take care of it. In our marriage, we go, well, it just exists. And so what this is, is an opportunity for you to pull away and to work on your marriage. You will meet once every 90 days, so four times a year, for six hours just to focus on your marriage. Because what we need to do is we need to have time to sit down and talk. You've been there and I've been there. We're like, i gotta, I got to talk to Brianna about that. I've got to talk to her. And the kids are running us here and we're running there. We have ministry happening here. It's like, i got to talk to her about that after a while. Man, that's, that's been long removed. That's two months back down the road. But when things are fresh, we can say, man, if someone can guide us how to have healthy conversations in the right way, it's amazing how you can take care of those and make sure that none of those problems start to develop roots. And so you commit to 90 days being trained by couples in our church who have gone through training to be guided uh, on a day just to pamper and bless your marriage. It's going to be done right here at Centerpoint. It would take 8 to 10 couples, 8 to maybe even 11 couples in a group uh, so we have enough to be able to handle 40 couples, 40 couples right now with the, with the couples that we have trained. 
Uh, you'll meet here, you'll have breakfast, you'll have lunch, it'll be a day of pampering your marriage, caring for yourself, and so you use that card to sign up, you can also go out to the table, Mike and Sarah Brown, why don't you guys come up here for a moment, <clears throat> a lot of you know Mike and Sarah, some may not, but uh, Mike and Sarah are going to be our directors of this ministry, leaders of this ministry, they, uh, <clears throat> they came to our training that we did, our, we did a pilot day back in August, I think it was, or September, I forget the time. We did a pilot day. They were one of the couples that came. We did a training and just kind of laid it out, these couples, who, whose heart is in this? And so they really kind of spoke up and said, we really see this being part of our lives. We really want to help other couples in their marriages. And so Mike and Sarah are going to be heading this up. They're going to be at the table out in the lobby because once we get done, there's no way I'm fully explaining every single bit about this. But this would be the couple to talk to. And they'll be able to help you out. I want to pray for them in just a second. So stand right here with me, okay? Um, here's the big question I know you're going to ask. The big question is, well, how much does this cost, right? How many of you are thinking that question? There's a few of you who are thinking that. Right? How, how expensive is this, preacher? You really want us to do this? Let me ask you this question before I answer your question. How many of you have your Christmas shopping all done? How many have Christmas shopping? I don't see any, one, that's a kind of, right, Beth? That's a kind of Christmas shopping, kind of done. I want to encourage you to consider this as a Christmas gift to each other. Guys, I can guarantee that right now your wife is probably thinking, I would love to invest the money in it. Some people are thinking, I don't care what the cost is, we need it. Now, some of you are thinking, this is crazy, and I'm not going to do it. But let me tell you, for $250, four days, 24 hours of investment time into your marriage. That equals out to $62.50 a day. That doesn't cover all the costs because your leader said, no, we want to invest, and so we're pulling some of the money out of the budget to cover some of the cost. If you go to Christian counseling, it's $125 to $150 per hour. Per hour. So instead of buying the TV this year, or instead of putting down the next sports registration for your child, I encourage you to put it down and say, you know what? We're going to invest in our marriage. We're going to make it a priority that we're going to work on our marriage. We're not going to wait for it to get to the ditch. We're going to wait for it to have a flat tire. We're not going to wait for it to be crashing and burned. We're going, to, we're going to work on it. So you use this card to express your interest. Now, there's several options on there. You could say, yep, sign me up. I'm interested. Mike and Sarah then are going to follow up with you and say, here's your next steps. You could say, I have questions. Contact me. Mike and Sarah are going to follow up and say, hey, what kind of questions? Let's discuss those a little bit further. You could say, I'm interested. I need a scholarship. Because we know for some people, you say, $250, there's no way. It's not my budget. And we want to make it possible. We'll have conversation with you and see what you can afford, and we'll help work out a scholarship. I mean, maybe I want to provide scholarship money. See, marriage is everybody's responsibility in a church. For some of you, you may say, I want to provide. Maybe some of you have been married for a long time. You're like, I want to help somebody. I want to provide a scholarship. We'll help you show you how to do that. Or for some of you who maybe are even single, you say, you know what? I want to support somebody else who's married, and maybe one day when I'm married, then they're going to support me. Or I... We'll pray for grace marriage. I hope everybody could check that box. I'll make it a priority of prayer. And then I'm willing to provide child care because when couples come, they need someone to say, hey, I'll take your kids for the day. And maybe you'll say, I'll provide some child care and we'll try to connect couples up with those who are willing to provide child care. So I just want to ask you here uh, to bow your heads with me. I want to pray about marriage. I want to pray for Mike and Sarah. Father God, we just lay marriage at your feet. Father, we've been preaching about it. We've been talking about it. And God, it is, it's an institution, a covenant relationship we talk about 
that is under attack constantly, and so we need your help, God. We ask for your power, for your mercy, for your grace to be in in the body, in this family, in this community, in the city of Lexington, Lord. Father, I pray for grace marriage. I pray for couples like like Mike and Sarah here, Lord. I I just want to pray for them specifically, Father, because they've stepped up and said, hey, we want to help facilitate, make this happen. But, Lord, I know that when they put themselves on a firing line, then Satan says, hey, maybe I should head towards Mike and Sarah's home. So I pray, Lord, for them specifically as they, as they lead. I pray for the facilitating couples, Lord, that you would protect their marriages and you would help them as they take this step of faith. Father, I pray for people in this room who right now are hearing this and they're going, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. Smoke screens are being sent up. Doubts are being sent up. Lord, would you blow all those excuses up? Would you take them all away? So that we'll take the time, Lord, to be proactive that we'll be ahead of the ball, and we won't wait for crisis things to happen in order. We will take the time to work on our marriages so that we have Christ in the center of our marriage. Father God, we thank you that you make the way possible to overcome guilt and shame because of the cross. You make it possible. We confess our sin to you, and then we receive your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we're going to do that right now in this time of communion. We're going to spend some moments just confessing, letting you know about some of the shortcomings of our week. And then Lord, as we receive communion, we accept your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you need to talk with...